Hi, you're listening to the Technology for Mindfulness podcast, episode 94, hosted by me, Robert Plotkin. Today, I'm going to be speaking with Brother Dave Keneally, a former sergeant in the U.S. Marine Corps and former Buddhist monk. Dave is a certified teacher of the Search Inside Yourself program and an ordained member of the Order of Interbeing. You can find out more about Dave Keneally at davekeneally.com. That's D-A-V-E-K-E-N-N-E-A-L-L-Y.com. I'm extremely pleased to welcome Dave Keneally to the Technology for Mindfulness podcast. In the upcoming interview you're about to hear with uh, Brother Dave Keneally, you're going to hear him point out one of the most common misconceptions about mindfulness meditation, which is that it's about trying to stop yourself from thinking or stop yourself from feeling or stop yourself from having any of a number of other experiences. I think it's worthwhile me just repeating that here. You know, normally I give some other kind of a tip up front, but I think that point that, that he makes is so critical and such a common misunderstanding, and it stops so many people from trying meditation, and it causes so many people to give up on meditation because of that misconception about what mindfulness meditation is. In mindfulness meditation, we don't try to stop thoughts from happening, or that isn't the intention of mindfulness meditation, to try to stop thoughts. Instead, one of the aspects of the practice, a critical aspect, is to become aware of thoughts, thoughts that inevitably will arise in your mind, and then to become aware of feelings, to become aware of bodily sensations, to become aware of all aspects of experience, not to try to stop them from happening. And if you're maybe new to mindfulness meditation or haven't done it before, and you're thinking, well, then why would I engage in mindfulness meditation if the point isn't to stop this flood of thoughts I have, you know, that often take over? Or you might say, well, look, I know I have thoughts all the time. I already am aware of that. I know that I have thoughts. What's the point of mindfulness meditation? Well, the fact that you know that you have thoughts doesn't necessarily mean that you are aware of them or practicing, observing, or noticing those thoughts in the moment while they're happening, rather than merely having them, rather than merely being caught up in them or carried along by those thoughts. And if you, if you, that distinction doesn't make sense to you, maybe because you haven't had the experience yet of trying out some mindfulness meditation in which you work on stepping back from your thoughts, not merely having those thoughts, which we all do. We all have thoughts, but also gaining an awareness of them from a distance, from the standpoint of an observer of those thoughts and not being wrapped up, identified with kind of enmeshed with those thoughts. Yes, we all know we have thoughts. We all have thoughts. We all have many thoughts. Uh, But uh, having those thoughts is not the same necessarily as being aware of them from a distance and without judgment and without uh, identifying with them and, and so on. 
In fact, it's possible to go many years or a lifetime having thoughts all the time without being aware of them in the way that mindfulness meditation uh, practices or attempts to practice and learn how to um, gain that distanced, focused, non-judgmental, non-identifying awareness. So I hope that's helpful. And I also hope, as we say in the interview, that if you find yourself practicing mindfulness meditation and that you you find yourself continuing to have a flood of thoughts that you don't give up and conclude that you're there, therefore somehow failing at meditation. <laughs> Having thoughts is just a normal part of life for everyone. And uh, no one who has thoughts is failing at meditation, mindfulness meditation, because in fact, the practice is to become aware of the thoughts, not to try to stop them. So you're, you're going to hear so many other great insights from Dave Keneally. I just thought that one was worth repeating here because it's so important. And I uh, hope you enjoy the interview with Brother Dave Keneally. Hi, Dave, and welcome to the Technology for Mindfulness podcast. Hi, Robert. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Thanks for being here. I'm really looking forward to talking to you about uh, your mindfulness teaching and, and your background and unique approach. And I thought people would be really interested to know a little bit uh, about your own story and how you got started with mindfulness. Oh, wow. I guess, uh, I guess it really depends on your definition of mindfulness, right? <laughs> <laughs> because as a, as a very young man, I was in the military. Mm -hmm. and so during those years, I was in the Marine Corps. I got started in my attention training. A lot of concentration practice. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> but my definition of mindfulness is paying attention with love. And mm -hmm. so for me, I draw a really hard line there. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> I got that, that concentration training. Yeah. Uh, I got introduced to things like being able to follow my breathing to take aim with a rifle. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Being aware of, of the body mm -hmm. and the moment to that degree. That was helpful. But it wasn't until much later, in, mm -hmm. in my late 20s, that it was yoga was the mm -hmm. first one. You know, I, I got out of the military and I was uh, looking for really strong exercise. Yeah. Chasing pretty girls into yoga class. <laughs> <laughs> young wild man from the Bronx. Yeah. No, still. <laughs> and so I started practicing yoga. And of course, right, it was exercising yeah. me, but it also was calming me down. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I didn't realize that I had begun meditating until a few years in when an instructor kind of tapped me on the shoulder and was like, Hey, Dave, uh, can I talk to you after class? <laughs> she was so sweet. And she said, are you, are you just exercising? Yeah. <laughs> Nobody had asked me that. Most of the classes that I had been to had been pretty light on the philosophy. Mm -hmm. And she sat me down and just explained it very plainly. Like, this is a 5,000-year-old practice in creating manageable suffering through repetition to develop yeah. skill to lean into it and to find asana, you know, comfortable seat, to find mm. peace even inside of yeah. shaking and rapid breathing and balancing on one foot. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, she blew my mind. She blew my mind. And I, I was in a lot of suffering at that time. Mm -hmm. uh, this was in the early... 
this was like, yeah, 2001. So I had been in New York for 9-11. Like <laughs> I had just gone through a very intense year. Not, not that different from the year we just had as a, yeah. as a planet. Yeah, yeah. But I, but I had it in New York City. You know, we had our own sort of crisis that touched everyone. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. I was in a lot of suffering. I had lost some people that day. And so I was ready to hear that. Yeah, yeah. very fortunate. Ooh, yeah. yeah, right. The the gift of meeting the Dharma, as mm-hmm. traditional Buddhism would say, right? Mm-hmm. What a miracle. What a miracle. So I just dove in. The next thing I knew, my whole life was different. Like I I left my career. I became a massage therapist so that I could be a better yogi. Mm. Like what I cared about was practicing yoga. And that's when I started reading things like John Kabat Zinn. And yeah. uh, that's when mindfulness started to trickle in. And at some point during those years, during those yoga years, because I ultimately became a yoga instructor and a yoga therapist and I taught yoga teachers how to like mindfully help people yeah. in life. Like I got into the yoga. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm a yogi. <laughs> but at some point I met my, my, my root teacher now, my Vietnamese Zen master Thich Nhat Hanh. Yes. Uh, I was just past one of his books one time. And it was a very simple one on walking meditation. It was almost a book of poetry, more Mm -hmm. than an academic text. And I fell in love. Yeah, I like saying it that way. (laughs) Uh, He was saying things that that I could hear. Yes. uh, In a way that I could hear them. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not necessarily anything strikingly different than what Mm -hmm. John Kabat-Zinn had said or than any other Jack Cornfield and that, you know, sure. the American teachers, but uh, there was just something about it, how direct he was. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. How savage. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, like uh, <laughs> to say like paradise mm-hmm. is now or never. Now, without any irony or any softening. Right, 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 right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, for a guy that had been military trained, you know, yeah. for like tough kid from the Bronx, that resonated. Yeah. I was pretty prepared to absorb that. Wow. It seems like, yeah, you had a few people who hit you at the at the right time. It's interesting with yoga, you know, not not all yoga teachers teach what you call the philosophical uh, or, or uh, meditative aspect of yoga. Many of them do teach it just as exercise, but you had someone who was able to bring a deeper level of it to you. Yeah. I mean, it's similar to how we started, you know, uh-huh. drawing the distinction between concentration and mindfulness. Right. Um, like, yeah, I think there are a lot of people out there that are practicing yoga as a a raw concentration practice. Yeah. And there are benefits to that. You know, sure. we know neuro anatomically, right? Mm-hmm. Sim- the simple act of concentration connects my prefrontal cortex to my amygdala. Yeah. Like, increases it's- the communication between the thinking brain and the fearing brain. Right. Like, hey. right. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, they are changing their lives. Why? as I watched over the last 30 years, you know, yoga sort of become what it is today in the United States. I don't really bemoan it. And yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm not, I'm not uh, anti make mindfulness yeah. you know? <laughs> <laughs> like, because raw concentration does help people. Um, it's a great place to start. <laughs> That's it. Right. And I think eventually, as was the case with me, if you do it enough, if you're leaning into it enough, you're going to partially discover yourself that there's something more to it. 
And if you're lucky and if people like you and I keep doing stuff like this, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you'll meet a teacher or you'll meet the teachings. Let me ask you, you know, you talked about the uh, attitude of love being an essential part of mindfulness. You know, it's another thing that in the maybe current version of mindfulness that's widespread now, it's not emphasized by many people. I think about in terms of Western teachers, Sharon Salzberg certainly infuses her teachings with that love and gentleness and self-compassion, but many don't and teach it maybe as more than concentration, but still are, don't have that element of, of love to it. Can you talk a bit about that, where it fit in maybe in your own development and in your own teaching now? Sure, Robert. Again, like Thich Nhat Hanh is the kind of teacher that he sort of likes to teach like this. <laughs> and it's very zen. Yeah, yes. <laughs> he doesn't mince words. <laughs> One of the ways that he teaches us is through the, what he calls gathas, or poems for practice. G-A-T-H-A, gatha. And it comes from ancient Chinese Zen teaching. And there are a bunch of them that you have to memorize. And they're connected to, uh, to each action. So there's one for, you know, drinking a glass of water. There's mm -hmm. one for turning on the light switch. And they're, they're these beautiful poems uh, that are yes. designed to bring you back into a moment of mindfulness, a moment okay. of loving awareness. Yes. And one of them uh, that Thai, as we call Thich Nhat Hanh, uh, which just means mm -hmm. teacher in yes. Vietnamese, one of them that Thai wrote is three words. Understanding is love. Mm. And when I first heard that, I was like, how could that be possible? <laughs> but he's very clear. Like he, he says very literally, those two words are synonyms. They mean exactly the same thing. So I've been thinking about that for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I think it's true, or, or perhaps a better way to say it, a more, a more meaningful way to say it is in my experience, mm. that is proving to be true. Mm -hmm. In my practice, uh, the more capacity I have to understand myself, yeah. Yeah. the other people involved, the circumstances, the more of that data that I have mm -hmm. and the more, more of it that I'm holding because yeah. understanding is something different than knowledge, right? right? right. Understanding is both. It's, it's, it's knowledge and being able to connect the dots, mm -hmm. having then wise contemplation mm -hmm. with that knowledge. Yes. And so it requires work. <laughs> yeah. And then in the Buddhist definition of love, traditionally, it's broken down into four sort of infinite abodes, right? Mm -hmm. One way to think about it is love is a table. Mm -hmm. It has four legs. And the four legs are equanimity, kindness, joy, mm -hmm. and compassion. And so even that word then becomes four different practices. Right. Those are practices in, yeah. in Buddhist parlance. The teachings are very clear. Like there's 20 different ways to cultivate joy. There's 20 different ways to cultivate equanimity. There are things to do, things to yeah. train. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, machines along the wall in the gym. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> right up on mind and heart. Yeah. And, uh, and so once I saw it all laid out that way in the classical sense, hmm. For me, it just became you know, another training, whether it was military training or yeah. yoga training. I was like, oh, okay. Ashtanga yoga is what, 56 postures? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> One of the ways to think about breathing is the 16 practices for the full awareness of breathing, right? It's mm -hmm. very codified. 
And, and so in the beginning, that's what I did. I just kind of dove in and took up the training, yeah. took up the training, tried very deliberately to expand my capacity to be kind, to expand mm-hmm. my capacity to experience a moment of compassion. And I saw how the two were supporting each other, love and understanding, right? Mm-hmm. The, the more I was able to love, meaning yeah. kind and equanimous, et cetera. Yes. Right? The more I was able to understand myself because I was looking at myself mindfully, yeah. right? paying attention in a loving way, in a non-judgmental, curious, accepting way. Mm-hmm. And inside of that effortfully cultivated perspective yeah. was a lot more space. Yeah, yeah. And it was a lot more space than the seemingly easier, more habitual reactive mm-hmm. perspective. Sure, sure that had almost no space, right? That was telling me every day, you have to do this now. This is right. who you are. This is what you, you raise your voice when you are angry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you should. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Confirmation bias, right? I tell myself <laughs> something and then I agree. <laughs> and so that's what, I'm, that's what I'm speaking to, Robert, when I say, you know, the my definition of mindfulness is paying attention with love. My definition of mindfulness is, is paying attention, is, is concentrating, but with a cultivated perspective of love and kindness and joy and compassion and equanimity. Yeah, no, there's a lot, a lot there. I mean, you talk about, yeah, obviously a lifetime uh, <laughs> there. Uh, you know, it's a very different way of seeing and experiencing love than uh, you know that I was brought up with. You know, I, you mentioned the Bronx. I grew up in Brooklyn, so we're weren't that far away. <laughs> you know. Look- I didn't like this guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, this idea that love is either just like, oh, I don't know, some broad feeling or idea that you have about mostly another person, not so much yourself. And you, you're, what you've just been talking about, I know it applies to your feelings towards other people. You've been talking primarily about attitudes towards yourself, your own feelings, your own thoughts and attitudes and cultivating it from from that direction. And you also mentioned, you know, moments of compassion and talking about it as something that arises in the moment rather than just an idea that I love someone or I love myself. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I'll tell you, I find it encouraging because what I find encouraging is the idea that there are specific practices that you can engage in because otherwise it can, I find it can be demotivating to feel like, Oh, I'd like to be more compassionate. Well, that's a tall order. <laughs> you know, how do I just go ahead to, you know, go about doing that, knowing that there are specific things that can, I can practice kind of moment to moment on a small scale is very motivating. This is one of the gifts of Zen practice specifically mm-hmm. in the smorgasbord of mindfulness now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> one of the things that Zen, the Zen tradition has to offer is this emphasis on practice all the time. Mm-hmm. One of the ways I, I like to share with my students is like, if you wanted to be physically healthy, like, would you think it was sufficient to spend 20 minutes a day at the gym? Yeah. And then the other 23, <laughs> hours of the day, you know, McDonald's right. and cell phones and, you know, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and they're all like, yeah, obviously not. Right. I have yeah. to make healthy choices all day. Mindfulness practice. Zen practice is exactly the same. Mm -hmm. I go to 
the cushion, the way I go to the gym, I maintain a dedicated practice. Yeah. And they're, yeah, that's great at isolating certain things, mm-hmm. right? I can spend 30 minutes on a cushion doing meta loving kindness meditation. I sure. actually flex and strengthen my capacity to be kind, right? Yeah. To be compassionate. That exercise is there and it's done well, mm-hmm. violently and yeah. relatively still body. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but if I want to be a mindful person all the time, right? If I want to be meeting my reality mm-hmm. with, with an energy of love, with acceptance and recognition before judgment. Yeah. I want to be investigating because I, the moment or my own experiences or the words of another person from a place of a desire for truth and an ability mm-hmm. to be of service and to help yeah. the situation instead of trying to be right or trying yeah. to shame or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Self-promote. You know? <laughs> I want to be that guy or that woman all day. Then that 20 minutes is nowhere near enough. Right. right, I, right. And so, yes, I too am grateful that there are practices that like, you know, the traditional gata for drinking a sip of water mm-hmm. is poem for it is goes like this. This glass of water in my two hands, mindfulness held uprightly. My mind and body dwell in the here and in the now. And then you take a sip. <laughs> <laughs> and it's nice, as I've done, you know, I spent about six or seven years living in monasteries yes. and practice centers. And I became a monk, like I did the whole shape yes. of my <laughs> We're the long round brown robe thing. And, and that was because I really wanted to yeah. train. Like I yeah, wanted yeah. to bring that kind of stuff all day. And I needed a lot of support, right? In yes. order to do that. A lot of uh, good conditions. Yes. But ultimately I came back. I'm wearing this brown jacket now. Mm-hmm. This is what uh, lay ordained disciples of uh, the Zen master Thich Nhat Hanh wear. This means I'm in the order of interbeing, like a member of his school. Yes. And so I wore it today just because I was like, oh, I'm kind of on Robert's podcast as a Zen teacher. I might as well look like what I am. <laughs> I like to wear it when I teach. Of course, of course. But ultimately, you know, once I spent all that time in the gym, I realized like, oh, for some people, being in, you know, in the gym for the rest of their lives is the thing. You yes, know? Yes. They become that kind of personal trainer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and for others, that doesn't work. When I was honest, when I looked at sort of what was left of my personality, like the parts of myself that just weren't going to change, no matter yeah. how much time I spent bowing and right, shaking right. my head, right? right? I was still going to be this guy, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? <laughs> and this guy uh, was pretty confident that he'd be happier and yeah. meaning more effective at helping, right? Because mm-hmm. that's what I care about the most Yeah, um, out here. Uh, yeah. Being to to mix and mingle and, and meet more people and, and do things like this more easily. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And as you said, be of service. Yeah. Talking about that, I wanna I wanna let people know what your maybe some of your own experience has been over this last challenging year, what you found your students dealing with. I mean, we all know what we've all been dealing with generally, but is there anything you can share about, you know, how how you've been able to bring your own mindfulness practices to bear on this extremely challenging time still ongoing. I mean, we're all, I know, I'm sure you're doing the same. I'm talking with people about seeing some sort of light at the end of the tunnel, but it's been a long tunnel and we know that it's not going to, you know, nothing's going to change on a dime and like overnight 
change radically and we don't know what to expect or predict and the situation will continue to change, right? <laughs> so I wonder if, uh, yeah, is anything that comes to the top of your mind to share about, about this last year? Fun to be asked that on a mindfulness and technology podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> because like so many people, right? I had to like shift into fifth gear. Like you know, <laughs> I was like the guy running the marathon off the couch. <laughs> um, I uh, uh, have not traditionally been, I'm not a Luddite, but mm-hmm. I, I was not like, an IT guy either. Yeah. I pretty quickly realized like, oh, well, you know, my regular Sunday teaching used to be an in-person group of about 25 people Yeah, <laughs> in a, <laughs> a wellness studio by the beach. Like <laughs> that's how I had things structured and I didn't really have any desire to do it this way. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be honest. I'm still in mourning about that. Like, yeah. Yeah. I miss that. Like mm-hmm. that was a huge part of my life. Yeah. Um, for years and years and years, like sitting with people in person at least once a week mm-hmm. and, and practicing mindfulness together and talking yes. about helping each other. Yeah. Right. Right out of the gate. I want to start there and say like, yes. it's, uh, it's so painful. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, when I realized how, how much I was hurting mm-hmm. uh, at the beginning of this time, I was in pretty heavy quarantine. I was living, in a guest quarter in friends in a friend's house. Uh, so I had access to their family, which I was so yeah, blessed. Yeah, I yeah. Walk down the stairs out of my little apartment and play with children yeah. and, and interact with another human being. Like yeah. I was very lucky. Yes. Uh, but I had a niece who had just been born and I, I wanted to go visit her eventually. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know very much about, COVID-19 and, you know, I'm not a medical doctor. And I was like, man, I want to be as safe as I possibly can be. Like this little creature is still forming her immune system. And so I basically spent like other than an hour down in the house to say hi, like Mm. 23 hours a day alone uh, for months, months, you know, once a day I would go for a walk and get some food. But uh, most, you know, I basically slipped back into like almost a monastic life. Yes, uh, yes. For months at the beginning of this, because the question I want to answer, mm-hmm. the question I'm imagining somebody listening would have is, yes. well, what were you practicing? Like, what yeah. were you doing? Like, right, right. What does it mean to them to say, like, I went into monastic mode? <laughs> <laughs> and what I mean is that, you know, while I was doing all the things you do to get online, like I hired a wonderful YouTube coach, a man named Brighton West. Look okay. him up. Incredible. A mindfulness practitioner who helps people okay. get online. Great. Talk, you know, took me step by step through everything from how to like start my YouTube channel to how to make sure that the eyeline was here, you know, like <laughs> all the stuff I didn't know. <laughs> so, you know, that became my work, right? I teach on Instagram. I have a zoom sangha now on Sundays, uh, I, I do workshops once a month uh, that are a couple hours long via Zoom where I take people yeah. through hours of practice. Uh, but while I was sort of learning how to do all that yes. and ramping that up, I was going through this incredibly painful, emotional, isolating time like so many. Yes. And the thing that struck me about it the most was that it didn't really make sense to spend a lot of time thinking about it Mm -hmm. because even now, as you pointed out, Robert, like a year plus later, we're still sort of figuring things out and information is come. New information is still coming in. And 
we're smart to uh, not entirely rely on the accuracy of our data streams. (laughs) And so it's this, you know, very artistic melange of data, (laughs) you know, sort of, fixing like flowers on the table and like, okay, that's how I'm going to look at it today. <laughs> I try to hold it that lightly. It's perishable. You know, <laughs> yesterday's idea withers and dies. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> and I, I realized that pretty quickly. Um, mm-hmm. And so what I focused on was the feelings. Mm-hmm. The feelings they were very, very real and pretty consistent. Like yeah. I was pain. I was sad. I was lonely. I was afraid. I was, you know, my mother's 75 years old. <laughs> I was yeah. like every day, like, Ooh, this is very real. Yeah. And what I did was while having my regular work day, I took advantage of my solitude and I gave myself permission. I took up the practice of just sitting with my feelings mm-hmm. whenever they came up, whenever yeah. they asked to be sat with. And so yeah. several times a day, including my morning sit and my mm-hmm. evening sit. Cause I was like, going crazy at that time. Like my morning practice routine became like two or three hours of stuff, of yoga, meditation, journaling, because I felt like I needed it. Yeah, yeah. I still do. do. (laughs) But the focus really was mindfulness of the feelings. Mm -hmm. Feelings, the second of the four establishments of mindfulness, you know, mindfulness of the body, mindfulness of the feelings, mindfulness of the thoughts, and mindfulness of awareness. And that's if we were look at mindfulness as a table with four legs, yeah. or four legs yes, yes. in the traditional way. And so I just leaned in to the second establishment. And whenever a, a strong feeling came up, whatever it was, yeah, you know, my cushion was right there and I just sat it sometimes for just a minute. Sure. Um, but what I was trying to do was maintain the attitude that I was not going to ignore, repress, yes. deny, or in any way, give my feeling short shrift. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wanted that data. I wanted that data. Uh, and I wanted to, to honor them and mm-hmm. to care for them with attention. And of course that led to more understanding. Like I learned a lot about myself yeah, this year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and why I was so sad and, and what it means to me to be connected to my friends and mm-hmm. what the difference is between talking to somebody in person and talking to somebody on the phone or via mm-hmm. Zoom. But for me, the focus was the feelings. Yeah, that's very helpful. I'm sure people listening will find it helpful. Again, you know, I think in my experience, a lot of mindfulness teaching now, kind of popular mindfulness, focuses mostly on awareness of thoughts. You know, I wouldn't say exclusively. Mm-hmm. And it's good for many, many people to become more aware of thoughts instead of just having them. But uh, <laughs> is it? It depends on how you're being introduced to those thoughts. Because I see a lot of people meeting mindfulness practice, as you're pointing out, in this mm-hmm. style of teaching, mm-hmm. and they are they're being overwhelmed by their thoughts. Right, right. Are they ready to recognize that they're having sixty thousand mental events a day? Yeah, yeah. Some of them are. Yeah. And sometimes I wasn't. First few years I practiced, I was practicing on mindfulness of the body almost. Mm. I dipped into paying like quiet attention to my thoughts, Mm -hmm. I would start to freak out. Yeah, sure, (laughs) sure, sure. My thoughts were. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, that's right. And if you haven't, if you haven't had the experience yet of learning, uh, you know, non-judgment about the thoughts and non-identifying with the thoughts, then yeah, I can see that's you're gonna you could go down a bad hole there. Throwing people in the deep end. Yeah, yeah. Especially because so many people, and I don't want to accuse any mindfulness teacher of ever saying this, yeah. but in in common parlance, now that mind the word mindfulness is on the cover of Time magazine. Mm-hmm. Now people start to think they have an idea what it is. Mm-hmm. Just like 20 years ago, like there, you know, if you stop somebody on the street and ask them what yoga was, yeah. they probably would have said they don't know. Mm-hmm. Now, no one would say that. they would <laughs> all have right. some kind of answer, even if they'd never been in a yoga class. They right, would start right, 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 right. <laughs> <laughs> that is becoming true with mindfulness, and that's very dangerous. Yeah, yeah. Stop that 100 people on the street. Over half of them are going to say something about stopping their thinking. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. So they're at war with their thoughts. Yeah, yeah. I, when, I hear it a lot. If my cardiologist ever tells me, like, excuse me, Mr. Keneally, like, can you stop your heart for a moment? And I'll do some tests. <laughs> and I'm going to know I'm in the wrong room. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, on the on the side of feeling. So, you know, I just very coincidentally had taken a re- retreat in person right before everything hit in last February with I don't know if you know of uh, John McCransky. He's in Massachusetts. But anyway, he he's he's adapted uh, some uh, mindfulness teachings on, on self-awareness of feelings specifically. It focuses specifically on feelings. It was kind of the right time for me. Because like you, I was then able, I mean, it was just a very much beginner at it, but then he did it again online and I was able to find a sangha in his, his school. And that's been a godsend for me because it, I wasn't aware, I wasn't aware of it. And I hadn't been exposed to that focus on awareness of, and sitting with feelings really before. And so the fact that it came right before COVID hit was just the right time for me. And it's a little bit different from yeah the way I've been taught before to kind of, I don't know, let feelings go or let them pass. Maybe better than getting totally wrapped up in them, but <laughs> not the same as really being fully present with them. That expression, let go. Yeah. That's a very commonly used expression. Yeah. Uh, I want to focus on it. Right? Okay. I like the way this conversation is going, because I feel like we're defining a lot of important terms. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, what is love? What is mindfulness? Yeah. Letting go, like when I first heard people say, let go, like a spiritual mm-hmm. teacher or a self-help teacher, like yeah. say, let go. Like, the picture I had, like what I took away from that was mm-hmm. hummingbird, like sitting on my hand and it flies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. And of course, like that has not been my experience. <laughs> There's a wonderful Zen teacher at the Deer Park Monastery in Southern California, in the tradition of Thich Nhat Hanh. His name is Brother Fapai. Okay. Uh, he's uh, Australian and he's phenomenal, hilarious, yeah. hilarious teacher. And he, he talks about letting go like this. He's like, you're holding like this, right? Mm-hmm. And letting go is just that. Mm-hmm. Just open your palm like it doesn't go anywhere right 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 trauma my experience my life history even my view Mm -hmm. i'm gonna just go anywhere right (laughs) right (laughs) but i can let go of it like i can stop holding on that's great and just hold it a little bit more lightly and be like wow Mm -hmm. i'm feeling that really strongly right now yeah 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 so yeah yeah i agree like that's that's exactly what 
the practice of coming home to the body and, and their body being the, the ground out of which the feelings spring, mm-hmm. the feelings or the emotions just, you know, being a function of our nervous system, largely mm-hmm. coming home to that and, and letting go of it and, and getting more practice at holding it lightly mm-hmm. is game changer. It's game changer. Because right? the thoughts are still there, right? right, right oh my right, God, right. I don't want to die. You know, the whole thing. <laughs> you know, and, and I can say personally, I feel like I touched it on almost every level this year. Like, you know, shifting to the online world, like you know, put my life under financial strain. Mm-hmm. You know, my longtime girlfriend and I just coincidentally broke up, like a month before COVID happened. So <laughs> I was, you know, processing all of that. Yeah, and I'm like yeah. kind of sort of extra alone yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. during that time. And I could go on like, hey, you know, we all have this very long list now yes. of, of the ways that this affected us. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like I, the fact that I had this training mm-hmm. and being able to just really look at it every day, sit down with it and look yeah. at it, meaning freaked out Dave. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Freaked out Dave. (laughs) And and hold it a little bit more lightly. Yeah. I don't even like to think about how hard it would have been without it. I really appreciate you sharing it because you probably get this. I sometimes have people say to me, oh, Robert, you practice mindfulness. You must not get irritated. You must not get angry or whatever, as if that's the goal or the outcome or something. And I say, no, that's not it. (laughs) You know, it's not it at all. I like that analogy of the letting go, right? The feelings are still there. (laughs) You know, they don't stop happening necessarily. And I'd hope people listening, you know, who who haven't delved into it, maybe would feel a little bit, may, maybe would help with self-judgment to know that if they're sitting with the feelings and they're not, not feeling them, nothing wrong. <laughs> you know, because that message can be spread sometimes, maybe again, unintentionally, that mm-hmm. somehow if you're successful at the practice, you know, it means that you won't feel any unpleasant feelings or something like that. I don't know. Right. And then we see people avoiding the practice because they're imagining that end result. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm sure you've had somebody say to you, like, well, I don't want to be a zombie. Yes, yes, yes. I don't want to go through life like a Zen robot who doesn't feel or react ever. Right. Uh, (laughs) Half an hour hanging out with me and they're like, like, you've been drinking? Like, you're kind of intense. Like, we thought you were dumb. (laughs) Right. For someone to be Zen in, is, means somehow super calm and even, right? Right, exactly. I'm very buttoned up. Oh, I'm like, yeah, sometimes. <laughs> I think that's why, you know, the uh, Zen master, Sung Song, the Korean Zen master, uh, John Kabat-Zinn and a lot of American Zen masters did some training with back in the day. Like he was yeah. famous. Or in the middle of like one of these very measured like talks, mm-hmm. he would reach down and grab his walking stick and just slam it on the table. And <laughs> <laughs> even the room, like, ah! <laughs> he just put it down and go back to talking. <laughs> yeah, that's great. I, I, I'm glad we're talking about this, Robert. I think yeah. people do need a reminder that like we're not talking about becoming something other than a normal human being. Mm-hmm. Talking about yeah. the exact opposite. We're talking about being a real human being, like yeah. feeling the whole, the full catastrophe. You know? Right. 
John Kabat-Zinn likes to say, like, you know, my good day now is uh, like my my day at the end of which that I feel yeah. satisfied and content and even happy mm-hmm. is the day where I feel everything. Yeah, yeah. I am not even trying to be in a state of joy or a mm-hmm. feeling of calm or contentment all day. Mm-hmm. Uh, the opposite. I'm trying yeah. to lean into this roller coaster and yeah. enjoy the whole ride. And if at the end of the day, I'm like, you know, talking to my best friend on the phone as I yeah. try to do in the evening. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, it was a good day. I cried about this. I laughed hysterically at this moment. Yeah. I, you know, I wanted to smash this. Thing. <laughs> I had a good day. I was a real human being. Yeah. 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 So I see the training as, as not a, a dampening. Right. But instead a, a strengthening. How can I be strong enough to deal with how intense this is? How, how intensely beautiful and painful reality is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like yoga, right? Right. Right. Yeah. I'm not practicing yoga so that I can block out my experience. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> right? yes. I'm like, okay, how can I be so <laughs> strong here that I can handle this? Yes. Yes. That I can yes. look at it standing on one foot, Mm-hmm. balance and breathe and smile even a little yeah. Yeah, that's right 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 smile in the face of it yeah yeah well great i hope i hope that that is uh some uh comfort and encouragement to people listening where else can people uh get in touch with you find out about you learn from you where, where should people go Thanks, Robert. Well, yeah. I, I made it as simple as possible. I put everything on my website, which is just yeah. com. Yeah. They go there, they'll find you know more information about my workshops. I have a weekly Sangha, which in Buddhist parlance means community or family. Mm-hmm. And in the Thich Nhat Hanh tradition, that's how we practice. We get together once a week. Yeah, yeah. So from noon to one Pacific Standard Time, I'm there. And okay. anybody, anybody who wants to be can be there with me. Uh, it's a donation-based event. And I talk for about a half an hour Mm -hmm. and then I take questions and comments for about a half an hour. And so it's a time, you know, once a week where, where my Sangha or my family of practice can, can be with their teacher and can ask some questions and and of each other as well. Yeah. Yeah. So we do that every Sunday. And, and then I also do this Mm one-on-one with people uh, via Zoom. We used to do it in person. (laughs) (laughs) Now, yeah, I've actually been enjoying, you know, just being able to come into people's homes and, and, and sit with them for an hour and, and practice together in the old way, you know, yeah. a one-on-one. Yeah. That's great. So some bright side of the technology, maybe, <laughs> despite, I know, I'm sure you'd be looking forward to when you can go back to doing both in person and, and virtual. For those people who might be able to uh, meet with you in person when the time comes, where are you, where are you located geographically? I live in San Diego. Okay, great. Yeah, I'm a New Yorker, as we were talking about. Yeah. I've landed here. I, uh, I don't know. Like flip-flops over 300 days of the year. <laughs> I can do that. <laughs> Fantastic. Maybe it makes uh, mindfulness of the body a little bit easier. That's <laughs> <Sure. laughs> never freezing. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. Uh, well, this has been great, Dave. I really, really enjoyed speaking with you from your very uh, unique and I'll say joyful perspective. So uh, thanks. Yeah. Thanks so much for being on the, t- on the Technology for Mindfulness podcast. 
Thanks so much for having me. You're welcome. Yeah. It's important work. Thank you. Thank you very much. Be well. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Technology for Mindfulness podcast with me, Robert Plotkin, and today's guest, Dave Keneally. You can find out more about Dave at davekeneally.com. That's D-A-V-E-K-E-N-N-E-A-L-L-Y.com. If you liked today's episode, please subscribe, rate, and review, and share the episode with your friends. And don't forget to also check out our blog at technologyformindfulness.com for information and tips about how to be more focused, productive, creative, and happy using technology. And sign up for our mailing list to receive a free guide on how to find balance and manage your technology use with mindfulness. I'm Robert Plotkin, and I'll join you next time on the Technology for Mindfulness podcast. Mindfulness.